Hello and welcome to the Lifestyled Podcast. I'm your host, Erin, a graphic designer and digital creator, helping you build brand through authentic storytelling and stylish design. On this podcast, you'll find open-minded conversations with creatives and entrepreneurs and discussions around things like mindset, brand building, and so much more. With that said, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, what is going on? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the podcast. Today, we have a fun one going on. So I'm sitting down in an interview with B. Jeffrey Madoff, and we're going to be talking all about creativity. We're going to be talking about creative careers and, you know, really creating that life for yourself that you want to live and going after those things that you want while also, you know, letting all of the dots connect in your life naturally and not putting so much pressure on it. And I feel like Jeff's story uh, is a really great example of that, which we'll get into in the interview. But some of the things that we'll be touching on in this conversation is things like that, like how all of the dots sort of connect throughout your life in each thing that you do and nothing is a waste. We're also going to be talking about failure and what failure really means to you as well as success and what does success really mean to you. We'll also be talking a little bit about creativity and how ideas, they don't just come in that lightning bolt fashion that we all feel like they should come as and often is a little bit of unpacking to get to the root of our ideas and they sort of evolve as we go. So a lot of good stuff inside this episode and uh, I'm excited for you to take a listen to it. So my guest today is B. Jeffrey Madoff and he is the founder of Madoff Productions which is based in New York City. In his work he's helped position major brands like Ralph Lauren, Victoria Victoria's Secret, just to name a few, um, through his gifts with storytelling and interviewing. So Jeff began his career as a fashion designer, and then he switched careers into film and video production. And since then, he's expanded his reach to include teaching, uh, writing a book and playwriting and theatrical producing. So the course that he teaches is actually at Parsons School of Design in New York, and it's called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. And every week he has a conversation with a guest from a wide variety of fields from artists, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and business leaders that really inspire the students um, with different career ventures that you can have. And his course ended up leading him to write a book, which is titled the same as his course. So creative careers, making a living with your ideas. And the book is great. I've read the book. I think you'd get a lot of value from it as well. And it features, you know, people like Tim Ferriss and Carly Kloss and a whole bunch of other amazing, inspiring people sharing their journeys and little tidbits of wisdom. So definitely one that is going to spark a lot of inspiration inside you. But I mean, without further ado, let's hop on into today's episode with Jeff. And I will meet you on the other side with some of the key takeaways and also a couple of questions to stew on. So you actually started out your journey studying philosophy and psychology then at 22 years old, you built a successful fashion brand based in Wisconsin. You had more than 100 employees, and then you made a huge switch and transitioned into the film and video production world. And you worked with clients like Ralph Lauren and Tiffany's, I mean, just to name a few. So yeah, I'd love for you to dive a little bit deeper into your personal career journey and how that all transpired along the way. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, as I've been doing podcasts and as I wrote 
the book about my the class that I teach and about my personal journey. I never thought of a personal journey before that. <laughs> you know, it's just well, here's what I'm doing now, and I didn't it, because there was no master plan, Aaron. It was, uh, you know, I, I'm seduced by ideas and by what I perceive to be opportunities and things like that. So it could be, could be said that I'm entrepreneurial. It could also be said that God, he can't hold a job, you know. So it's, it really depends. But you know, I was in college, uh, had finished school, working in a small boutique in Madison, Wisconsin. I went to the University of Wisconsin. And uh, I got a phone call from a kid I grew up with, and he had graduated a year before me and said he saved up some money. Could I think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? And I worked in this little clothing shop and uh, I did the buying for it. And that already makes it sound more adult than it actually was, <laughs> you know, because the owner was only like three years older than I. And, uh, you know, it was kind of place that sold rolling papers and hash pipes at the checkout counter. Uh, and but we had cool stuff. And it was always my mission to find things that were unique. And uh, because Madison was such an interesting college town uh, and big that all the rock groups would come through when they were doing national tours and they'd stop in the store to find something cool. And so it was fun. It was a fun job. Uh, and I thought when I got that call, I said, uh, you know, I see what we sell. I could start a clothing company. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what was involved in starting a clothing company, uh, but I could always draw. So I put together some sketches. <clears throat> I uh, took a shirt that I really liked, how it fit, and cut it apart along the seams because I had no idea how it was even made. And I was so uh, ignorant and naive that I, when I saw fabric on the bolt in stores, I thought that was wholesale because it hadn't been made into anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, master plan, as you can tell, wasn't part of my vocabulary. <laughs> uh, but thinking this could be cool and interesting was, and uh you know, I got some of the sewers who did alterations for the stores to make uh, make some garments for me. And they sold right away. And I got some more made and they sold right away. So I had my proof of concept, if you will. And I designed a few more things. So I had like a line of clothes and strapped them on the back of my motorcycle, drove to Chicago, went to I think 18 stores and sold, I think 14 of the 18. And all of a sudden, you know, I had a significant number of orders and the looming question, now what are you going to do? You got to get this made. And I didn't know anything about that either. So, you know, my, my career journey has been without a map. So sometimes you end up just kind of wandering around uh, and figuring out things the, proverbial trial by fire, yeah, which is, which is a great way to learn, by the mm -hmm. way, if you survive. I completely agree. And I think that's how most entrepreneurs go through things too. They, you figure it out as you go, you kind of dive in, as you said, naively and a little bit ignorant and you have to figure it out as you go. It's kind of like a sink or swim or one foot in front of the other. And you just, you keep going. So you grew this successful fashion brand and then you decided to make a transition into film and video production. 
how, like, what did that sort of look like? Like when were you, cause you, you had a successful company and to most people, I mean, they'd be like, this is great. I'm here forever. This is what I'm going to do and just keep building this. But what made you decide to make a switch? Well, there were a few factors. One was my, my backer, who was a very good man. You know, when I started gaining traction in the business and it was doubling every three months and I needed some real financial backing in order to just keep up with the business and grow the business. And, uh, he was a very good man and he was a lawyer. He was also a banker and like a fifth generation Wisconsinite. And uh, he decided to back me because number one, he thought it was an interesting business and there were good margins and all of that. And uh, it also was that the people that worked in the, uh, in my factories, I had two factories in Wisconsin, all banked at his bank. So he liked the fact that I was providing jobs for people from Wisconsin. You know, that was kind of the foundation for him investing. He thought it was a, a good investment and that was a good plus for it. Uh, there was a recession that happened in the seventies and, you know, we were able to survive it, but it was rough. And one of the things that was rough was that I wasn't in New York. So mm-hmm. I had no real support other than his, which was significant financially, but there weren't any people for me to learn from. And there wasn't a way for me to grow uh, in a, without always having to figure out everything myself. And I felt like I was too far away from the market and the real center of knowledge of it. And initially that was fine, you know, because I loved going to New York. I discovered things about myself when I went to New York, like that I'm a stimulus junkie and I love being around all that's going on. Although initially it was intimidating to me, but the more I went, the more I liked it, the more I liked it, the more I went, the more I craved going until I wanted to move there. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, reminded me, which he didn't need to do, but he reminded me that, you know, if you move, I'm not going to continue to back you. And he wasn't doing that to be mean, by the way. That was kind of part of the deal, if you would. Yeah. And so I uh, decided that, you know, money comes and goes. Time only goes. Ooh, so, I love that. Uh, so I wanted to, I, I decided to move. Uh, and I had saved up enough money that if I lived frugally, which I did, I could travel for a year, which I did. Uh, until I ran out of money and then I could start another company, which I did and sold that one. And, but when I was in the process of that, I was at a fabric buying appointment with this, uh, guy that I had been buying from a really good guy. Cause also one other thing about the context down there and his young people weren't doing startups. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I started, when I was about, 20, I think I started the company when I was 21. And, you know, uh, I had hair and it was down past my shoulders and it was a different era. And, uh, you know, startups weren't a thing. You know, there weren't young people starting up businesses. So a lot of people didn't want to do business with me initially, but I was capable of writing orders for tens of thousands of dollars because my business had, had grown and I got a lot of national press and that sort of thing. One of the f- people I bought fabric from was a really good man who from the beginning never held my youth against me. Uh, he was a, a, just a good guy. And he said to me, do you know anything about the movie business? I said, 
not really, no. You know, I love movies. I've read some books about the business of it, but I don't really know the movie business at all. And he said, well, my son's your age and he won't listen to me. And you've got a good head on your shoulders. And I think uh, if you wouldn't mind meeting him, I think, you know, you could be a good person for him to talk to and you having your eyes on what he's doing mm-hmm. because he was so nice to me from the beginning. I was happy to help him. And plus I was fascinated by the proposition and met his son who had uh, recently bought the, do you know who William Burroughs is? No. So William Burroughs is one of the cornerstone writers of what was called the beat generation mm-hmm. back in the 1950s. And he was one of the heirs to the Burroughs business machine family fortune. Uh, and, but he was a total maverick. Uh, he more than dabbled in drugs, uh, wanted to be a writer, not go into business. And this was at, at around the time of Jack Kerouac, if you ever heard of him and on the road and, uh, you know, he was, he was a part of a really interesting popular culture movement in the 1950s. And his books were considered iconic. Uh, Naked Lunch probably being the, the biggest seller that he had and the most famous. But these are books that are still available, you know, 70 years later to buy. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, this guy had, uh, the son had bought and rights to one of his books to make a movie out of it. Cool. And so all of a sudden I'm dealing with some really interesting characters uh, Dennis Hopper, if you know who he is, uh, quite a famous actor who worked with James Dean and Marlon Brando. And I find myself in a whole different world that was fascinating. And, uh, you know, so that the siren call of doing something different, of again being seduced by the ideas, was really compelling to me. And although that enterprise and that film, because of the characters involved, never got made. It whetted my appetite to move into film and the possibility of story and to do those kinds of things. And I was able to use my fashion background because I was one of the one of my slivers of history is that I was one of the first people who was videotaping or filming at that time fashion shows. That wasn't the thing either. So uh, that was really cool. And I was fortunate is my first client to land Halston, who's a historic designer, and start working with Ralph Lauren, who I worked with for like 38 years. So it was a big transition. And on the other hand, it wasn't. And when I say that, what I mean is that what you do informs everything else you do. Planning a line of clothing and how to produce it, deliver it on time, what to charge for it. All of those things, it's the same thing whether you're doing a line of fashion or whether you're trying to make a film or in the case of what I'm doing now, a play. You know, it's all the same protocols and there's much more in common with businesses than there are different. Mm -hmm. There's so many gems that you just said and, you know, I can relate a lot. It's like looking back, like in hindsight, you see how all the dots have connected to get you from where you were to where you are. And something I like to speak on a lot is just following your intuition. And when you do something that is really 
true to you and that you know feels good to you and is right to you it's like things just start unfolding it's like letting go of that resistance and for you knowing your next move was to New York City like you felt so good in the city you felt so alive in the city and you took that risk and ended up moving there and things just started unfolding for you and the connections that you had and it led you from one point to another and it's interesting because I, you know, I'm sort of going through a little bit of a transition in my life and my career right now. And I was having a conversation with a friend about this not too long ago, actually, because she was sort of feeling the same way that, you know, something she went to school for and is doing now. And now she's not quite as passionate about it anymore or is looking to make some sort of transition. And we were both sort of, you know, we came to the conclusion that we both felt like such failures. Like we had felt like, you know, oh, we went to school for these things. We did these things where we we put so much time and effort into all of, you know, our career thus far. And the thought of, I'm going to put this in quotations, but starting over, you, you know, you do have those feelings of like, I'm a failure or I'm too old to start over or, you know, uh, you, all these thoughts start running through your mind. So I'm curious, like, did you ever have those sort of thoughts? Like, how did you, did you have fear even making that transition or were you just, you know, I'm going to do this, like jump off the cliff kind of person? Because I think that's something a lot of people can relate to um, having the fear or feeling like they are starting over. But your story is a prime example of how you never really are starting over. Like the dots do all connect And something you might have done 10 years ago could help you doing something that you're starting fresh now. So, yeah, I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear your take on that. Well, I think that, for instance, the addressing the issue of failure. Mm -hmm. First of all, you have to define what failure is Mm -hmm. for you. And, you know, because it's not like there's one definition. Uh, And by the way, looking through the rearview mirror of life, uh, you know, you can connect the dots while you're going through it, or at least while I was going through it, I had no sense of those connections. You know, it was over time that I was able to gain perspective and understand, you know, the path that I took and how one thing informed the other, you know, just in trying to make sense of my life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, there was no master plan and it's not like I had some special insights or anything like that. I was fortunate that I wasn't afraid. Now, that didn't mean I didn't have doubts. Mm-hmm. But what it meant was, I'll give you an example, moving to New York. Yeah. When I was going to move to New York, that also meant closing the business. So I was 25. I had had you know, a fair amount of, of publicity. I was chosen one of the top 10 young designers in the United States. My clothes were in fashion magazines on the cover of what was then the Bible of the fashion, women's fashion industry, which was Women's Wear Daily. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I had a presence there. Now I'm going to close the business. Does that make me look like a failure? And then I think, well, to who? Who would that make me look like a failure to? Yeah. Because the most important thing is that you don't look or feel like a failure to yourself because you're the only one that knows all the different forces that are knocking you around and what you're doing. And so people said to me in Madison, when you're moving to New York, do you know anybody there? No. Do you have a place to live yet? No. Do you have a job? No. Uh, Aren't you afraid of moving there? I said, actually, I'm afraid of staying here. Mm. And I was afraid of staying there because I knew what life was. 
that was no longer satisfied. So my fear of failing was way overcome by the excitement of the opportunity or the adventure. Mm -hmm. And for me, failure, and I may not have been able to define it that way back then, but through my lens of the last couple of decades at this point or more is failure is giving up on something that's important to you. And uh, I never gave up on the things that were important to me. And, you know, failure is not a destination. Failure is, you know, some of the obstacles that you meet on the way to wherever you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's so important to embrace that process. And, you know, that adventure could be fun. And it's difficult too, of course. And it can be scary, you know, when your business is held in the balance, if you are concerned that other people are going to look at you and think that you royally screwed up, because I also had to raise money. So I had to be a credible source in order to get people to give me money to finance a business that I was doing. And uh, so there's a, there's a whole lot of things, but it's, I think you have to really go through some introspection yeah, and, and define what failure is for you which most people don't do until middle age, if they do it at all. I was fortunate that I did it when I was young and it gave me a certain perspective on things and stripped away a certain anxiety and fear about trying things. Cause to me, it was much scarier not to try things. Yeah. Trying them was fun and you don't know what's going to work or not work, but for sure, not doing something is a sure way to make sure nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And playing it safe was just never appealing to me. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I feel I'm I'm very similar to you in that sense. It's almost too, it's like when you, I feel like it's a sticky thing when you wrap your identity so much together with what it is that you do. And, you know, for example, like closing your business, like if you have wrapped your identity so much in that, that can also make it seem like a failure, but being able to separate the two and knowing, you know, when it is time to move on. And that makes me, it's something I have been working on a lot lately is redefining, you know, what my vision of success is, what my vision of failure is, um, and just reworking it because, you know, as you said, it's like, to who, (laughs) to who are you a failure? And a lot of times most people don't care as much as that, as you think they care. And I guess for me, failure would probably be staying the same, like continuing to do something, even when you know, it's completely unaligned within you and, and you're just staying because it's comfortable. I think that would be, or that you're afraid to do something different. Exactly. Exactly. Because what's the point of life if you're not, you know, going after the things that you want and you're just um, staying unhappy in something because it's safe and comfortable. And I think, you know, this is really relevant in today's day and age too, as we've entered the time that's sort of been coined the the great resignation. I think a lot of people have been having a lot of uh, introspective over the past few years and really looking inwards to see what it is that they want out of life, out of their career, out of personal time. You know, I'd love to hear from you too, what would you say is like quintessential in creating your own future and building a a creative brand? Like what would be that, that one quality or something within a person? For me, I guess fulfillment. Yeah. Is it, do I value what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Am I excited to talk about what I'm doing? Does it fulfill me emotionally? And by the way, you know, your job or, or your business doesn't have to do that, you know? Uh, you can have hobbies that do that. And, 
and you can finance your hobbies through the you know the business that you do. In my case, because I so enjoy process, I so enjoy collaborating with talented people, like what I'm doing now with the play and the extraordinarily talented people that I'm working with, that's fun. And I really love that. So to me, it's about what are the opportunities for fulfillment? What is going to bring me in contact so I am working with people who I enjoy and respect and learn from? Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are the things that are really important. Now, there is an economic reality, so I don't want to gloss over it. And I think that also the difference between when you're growing up and when I grew up, you know, is that there wasn't social media. Yeah. So there weren't these, uh, can I say bullshit on your podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there weren't these bullshit images of people putting out their fake selves as if everything was terrific and their their entrepreneurial journey was without obstacles. And I 10x my business in the first six months and all that crap. Mm-hmm. It's just not true. But I think that it has had a tremendous impact on the psyche of people because I don't think our, we have not yet evolved to a point where we can process all of the information that's coming at us so fast and so relentlessly. You know, I, I forget what the numbers are, but it's an incredible multiple of how much stuff we see in a year now, which is equivalent to like three lifetimes you know, 50 years ago or so. I mean, it's, and those numbers aren't correct, but it's some crazy thing like that. And so when you look at people as models and you look at social media and, you know, the images that are so uh, false and you compare yourself to those things, it's going to be a very difficult and painful comparison. But you have to look at who's, whose approval are you seeking and why? And what is it that you're trying to do and why? Mm-hmm. And uh, those are, I think, the really important things to ask yourself so you don't get derailed by that kind of comparison, which there's nothing helpful about. it. Mm-hmm. It's only destructive to your own psyche. Yeah, I 100% uh, agree with everything that you just said. And finding fulfillment is Yeah, definitely a key ingredient, something that we should all be seeking when it's very easily these days, it's very easy to be swept away by what looks, you know, what looks fun and good and what everybody else is doing. But really, we only find, you know, the clarity and perspective when we can step away from it for a minute too and really get in touch with ourselves. I wanted to talk a little bit about your, your class. So you teach a course at uh, Parsons in school of design in New York city about creative careers. So you have tons of guest speakers that come in who have really walked the talk and, you know, built their own path in a creative way. And at the beginning of each semester, you like to ask your students to define success. And, you know, we talked about defining failure and I'm curious about why you asked why you ask your students that to start off uh, each semester? Well, I think that you can't know what success is until you know what failure is mm-hmm. because they're you know, sort of contrasting events in a way. Yeah. And I think that it's important to ask yourself those questions, which, by the way, change, you know, as you get older, as your responsibilities grow, you know, having a wife and two kids, uh, you know, I, I was now in a position that risk meant more mm-hmm. because I have a responsibility to provide for my family. 
So, you know, I couldn't make the same kind of, uh, I couldn't take the same kind of risks without considering the potential impact on my family mm-hmm. and what that can do. So it's a, always kind of an evolving definition of what success is, what failure is, <clears throat> what is responsibility. And uh, so I think that all of those things kind of play play into it. And I think it's important to understand that it is an evolution where you mature emotionally <clears throat> when you realize, which many major business owners never do, that the world is not just about them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that you have a, a responsibility as a good citizen, as a family member, uh, you know, to to be beholden to certain things, to to live up to what I believe is a responsibility of that. Now, I still and I'm currently involved in a huge risk, which is mounting the play that I've done. And that's really major. And, but I have made sure that I have set up a certain barrier so that my family, my kids are now grown up, but that the family is safe that my wife is provided for. So, you know, when you do these things and you aren't thoughtful about, well, who's impacted by your actions when you're young and single and it doesn't make any difference, you know, you can somehow recover, but you're the things that you take on don't have the impact on others as they do if you become part of a family unit, mm-hmm. things like that. So there's all those things to consider. And I think to get back to answering your question specifically is asking the students what their sense of success is. I am hoping that during the course of the semester from the various people that I talk to during the semester, what they hear and so on, that it helps them look at success differently. And so it can be interesting to compare, here's what I said, here's kind of how I'm looking at it now. Sometimes there's changes, sometimes there isn't. But I think, you know, there's a lot that's talked about these days, especially in coaching worlds about accountability. Mm-hmm. I believe that, first of all, you are accountable to yourself, which means you have to take a really hard look in the mirror and not delude yourself into thinking you're something you're not. And uh, so our definitions, as long as you are honest with yourself about fame, about success, uh, about failure, a constantly evolving thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I try to encourage that type of introspection and hopefully growth, not just in myself, but with my students too. Do you find that most of them, their definition changes like from the first day to, to the last day? It's a hard question to answer mm-hmm. because it's not like we sit down and go through a, like a therapy session. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, Main thing to me is I'm hoping to ignite the fire of curiosity mm-hmm. so that they want to learn more about themselves and learn more about what they do. There's always a core group of students that are great and engaged and really get it. And there's always people who do the least amount possible to get through. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was interesting. This is something I just learned from one of my guests. Uh, Bill Persky, and he's a five-time Emmy award-winning writer, uh, director, and Peabody award winner. And he said, um, I think about what else could I be doing now? Mm -hmm. In other words, do I want to sit and watch a football game for two and a half hours? What else could I be doing? What else could I be doing when I'm doing this? 
you know, and it's kind of an interesting way to look, look at things, especially if you're spending a lot of time sitting at the bar, <laughs> getting high, what could you actually be doing of value at that point? I, and that's why I say you also have to be accountable to yourself and honest with yourself, which isn't always so easy. My next question actually was sort of along those lines. I was interested if you had, you know, any guests in your class that have really made like a big impact on you. Um, is there anyone else who had a story that maybe stuck out to you or something you could share with us that that has always sort of resonated or, yeah, just stuck with you? You know, there are so many nuggets as I prospect through the semesters and through the years of Mm -hmm. things that have come out. Some things that when I heard them, it was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there was a guest I had, Ben Fainlight, who had a brief moment in the sun as a designer and got a huge amount of attention for a little while. Uh, And he said, we were talking about internships, And he said to the students, don't try to build up your resume with names Hmm. from known companies, because everybody looking at your resume knows those companies, what their internship programs are, that people want to get those names on their resumes. He said, what you should do is approach your internships and jobs throughout college as part of your curriculum. So to use you, Aaron, as an example, if you're interested in fashion, Mm -hmm intern at a fashion publication, intern at a PR firm, intern at a modeling agency, Mm -hmm. intern at these different places that can give you a full breadth of knowledge and treat it like curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's simple and really smart. And I had never heard that before, you know? And so I mentioned Bill Persky and what he said there, which I thought was great. And there have been so many nuggets that have happened through there. And, you know, I've often been asked, well, who was your favorite guest? And my favorite guest is always the one I'm interviewing at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Because I want to be totally present and get what they have to say. And I've been fortunate that I've had an incredible range of people and that there haven't been any of them that I haven't had some takeaway from. Some much more than others, but never have I And this is true. And I've been doing this now for like 14 years. It's never been, oh God, what a slug. Why did I have them on? That's never been the case uh, because I also like talk to them first and do some vetting, but I've had, you know, probably 14, 15 people a semester, 30 people a year, been doing this for a long time. And, and I think it's, it's probably not unlike your podcast. You try to book interesting people. Mm-hmm. There are things that you take away. There's things that resonate more than others. But overall, the experience is really positive because you're just getting a different point of view from somebody who is hopefully intelligent and insightful and articulate and can share that not only with your listeners, but with you mm-hmm. and how you grow from that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's how I approach it. And that's what, what I get from these. So there is no one person or one thing. There's so many different things that at this point, I can't narrow it down. And I, you know, I don't know if you know about the book that I wrote about my class. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, as, as if you've read it, you can see in there, there's so much contribution in so many ways that are interesting, mm-hmm. you know, and how do you 
do that. I mean, Ralph Lauren, when I said to him, how do you keep your fingers on the pulse of the consumer public? You know, and you've been doing that now for over 50 years. How are you able to do that? How do you know what the consumer wants? And he said, well, I know what the consumer wants because I am the consumer. Mm. And that's the foundation of his business. And then when you think about that, if you're not relating it to yourself, then you're only going to be second guessing the marketplace. Yeah. But if you're really centered on that and think, well, you know, I can't be the only one that's interested in this. I'm going to put it out there, you know, and that's, by the way, a thing for your entrepreneurial listeners Mm -hmm. to really keep in mind is you can't be the only one in love with your product. You got to put it out there. And if people are actually willing to give you money for it uh, and buy the service or product that you want to build a business around, that's the only way you know if it's going to work. It's not your friends or family saying, oh, that's such a good idea. You should do it. Uh, it's about putting it out there and seeing whether people actually pay for it. Yeah. And, and that's like the difference between a hobby and a business. That's right. Exactly yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I know if, if I was a person student, I would 110% be signed up for your course because um, I feel the same way as you, you know, listening to other people's stories, even people who have had similar paths, like everybody has their own life experience and their own takeaways and perspectives. And I find it so fascinating. I always love learning. I love hearing people's stories and being able to take away things and see how I I could apply certain things to my own life and, um, you know, try to improve my own life and, and work on growth. So yeah, I think that's incredible. And yeah, such a, such a fascinating class. Um, so I do want to touch on your book a little bit. I've, I've read your book and it's called Creative Careers, Make a Living with Your Ideas. So you kind of talk about, you know, the business side of creativity and all of that. Because a lot of times people think, you know, if you're a creative, you're not a business person. And if you're a business person, you're not creative. But if you want to make it work, you know, you, you have to be both, unfortunately. <laughs> In your book, you know, we hear stories from people like Tim Ferriss, Carly Kloss, just to name a few people. One chapter that I really liked, I believe it's the first chapter, the the myth of the lightning bolt. And you talk about this, a fortunate accident that led to success where you were shooting a commercial. So the fortunate accident was something to do with the lighting and it wasn't what you had initially intended. And I love that because I'm a creative person as well. You know, I took uh, graphic design, I've been a graphic designer and, you know, I've worked in not worked in, but, you know, dabbled in fine art and all of all of the above drawing. And it's funny because every time I start a project, I have a vision of how I think it's going to turn out. But once you get into it, it never turns out how you think it's going to turn out. But sometimes that's better than what you thought. And also sometimes you're like, oh, okay, this isn't what I thought, but but we'll roll with it. And I just find that so interesting. And I've actually heard the same thing. Uh, I saw an interview with David Letterman and Jay-Z, and he actually mentioned the same thing about creating music and how, I forget which song it was, but one of his greatest songs, like one of his biggest hits was a song that he felt it was just never quite right but he put it out there anyways. And I mean, with art and music and any of these things, you can tweak it until the day you die. Like it, the, when is the finished product finished? You know what I mean? Um, but I found it so interesting that, that he said that uh, because I think that's 
just what happens in, in creativity. You know, you, you have that initial idea, but eventually it just, it transforms into something along the way. So I was wondering if you could dive into that a little bit and that whole myth of the lightning bolt. The, what you're referencing was a commercial I did for Victoria's Secret. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about what I got to do through my production company was uh, when I had the budgets work with the top people in the field. Yeah. And uh, I was working with Vilmos Zygmunt, who was a legendary cinematographer. There are books written about him. Uh, he did Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Deliverance, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I think he was been nominated for more Academy Awards than any cinematographer. He's, he's great. And I knew I loved his work. He was a terrific terrific person to work with. And uh, we were on the set setting up and I saw this shimmer of light on the psych of the studio. And I said, Thomas, what, what, what was that? And he said, uh, well, that was uh, one of the grips walked by and they had uh, they were carrying a piece of mylar. I said, that was really cool. Uh, could you do that again? And so he had the guy walk on and said, let's do that as the background. And uh, the client was looking at the video feed and Kim said, whatever you did, there's fabulous. Can you do that? <laughs> and uh, it, it was so that moment of serendipity ended up being the look of the commercial. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a lightning bolt. I liked the look of it, but it was the years that Vilnos had been a cinematographer, his knowledge of his tools, the lighting, the camera lens, everything else, that when he saw that, he could tell me what originated that look because he's got all the dots in his brain from having been doing that for 35, 40 years that he knew how to achieve that. So many times when I say the myth of the lightning bolt, so many times people think that ideas burst forth fully formed. Well, they don't. But the more that you look at things, the more that you learn about things, the more dots you have in your brain to connect. And there can be that moment where that constellation gets formed in your brain and you recognize it as something, but it's never something that comes fully formed. It's something that is a result of all of the inputs that you've had that can form that. And that's why getting back to curiosity, the worst people to be around are people who aren't curious because they think they know everything. And there's yeah. nothing more boring than somebody who thinks they know everything. <laughs> so that curiosity presupposes there's other things to learn, other mysteries to uncover. And it's, it's an essential part of intellectual, creative and emotional growth is that curiosity. So how did that happen? is, you know, when I asked Vilmos, he had those dots and he could tell me how that happened. And, you know, when you look at the stories of whether it's Thomas Edison, who marketed himself as a genius, uh, or Steve Jobs, who set up, again, the same kind of image, none of these people did any of this stuff alone. You know, there's all this mythology out there, but it was never, never the case that they did it all alone. It was the result of working with other people and it was a result of, you know, accumulated experience and all of those things. So I think, you know, we are harmed by believing fairy tales like the uh, lone genius who was sitting some garret, bam, there's a flash of lightning and you come up with that insight. Yeah. Not how your brain works 
not how things happen in the real world. And oftentimes, yeah, it comes to you while you're doing things. Or I always think too, you know, even just changing your environments. Like if you're wanting to do something a little more creative, like going for a walk every day and take a different route, like even the simplest things can spark some sort of inspiration. But if you're just so stuck in a specific routine, I think that's oftentimes what can stifle creativity. It's getting yourself outside of your comfort zone, talking to new people, putting yourself in different situations, um, you know, exploring different places. And that's when those ideas can start coming and forming and you never know what's going to inspire you. And that's the beauty of life as, as I like to see it. Well, I think Um, if you allow yourself to wander, yeah, then you can have a sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, whether it's taking that new path, when you walk, going in another direction, going to a meetup and talking to people that you haven't talked to before, as opposed to seeking out the people that you already know. Yeah. Constantly feeding that curiosity. And, you know, you don't have to agree with people, Mm -hmm. but you can still learn and you can learn. Oftentimes you can learn quite a bit from people that you don't agree with because they form their opinions for other reasons. And what then doesn't mean that, you know, it's funny. I have uh, people that I know, respect and like that. We may be on opposite ends of certain spectrums, but because we have taken the time to be curious with each other. What overrides everything is our respect for each other mm-hmm. and the ability to establish dialogue with that common ground. And with that common ground, there's a way to expand that knowledge and insight. So yeah. I think, you know, as you said, being with different kinds of people, exposing yourself to different kinds of ideas, staying curious. I think that's absolutely essential to creativity. Yeah, I love that. And um, where can we all connect with you online? What's the best place to to find you? You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. be Jeffrey Madoff. You can uh, connect with me on Instagram at a creative career where there's clips uh, from my class, uh, from the guests that I have. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can also look at like one of the things I do in terms of the wandering and wondering that we talked about Mm -hmm. is every day I post, I take pictures every day and I post them. There's zero business incentive in any of this. This is just to keep my visual chops going and always looking at things differently. And that's it, uh, on Instagram at, at Jeff underscore Madoff, where you can see the pictures and that's part of the wandering and wondering. And I, and I would suggest to the people who listen to your podcast, give yourself some kind of a task and give yourself a deadline for it because you need to treat your creativity like it's a business. Otherwise, as you were talking about earlier, Aaron, you can, things can go on forever. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the reason we stop editing the play and experimenting with different things because we have to open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need the deadline. <laughs> That's right. Exactly yeah. Right. And people say to me, well, what motivates you? So a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> That's what motivates me. You know, that, that is when I know I have to get it done. And there's a saying, and I forget who said it, but a work of art is never done. It's abandoned. Mm-hmm. You just got to get it finished. Because if you look that. at your ideas out there, what do they mean? Yeah. You know, a play is to be seen, a book is to be read, music is to be heard, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to get it out there. Uh, And anybody that says, oh, I just do it for myself. I don't believe that either. Yeah. You want to write a book that nobody reads? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's a journal that we got to keep tucked away. (laughs) 
and uh, and there is, by the way, uh, you can see my film work at madoffproductions.com. So I think those are the best ways. But the best way to connect me direct, connect with me directly is LinkedIn. Well, thank you so much, Jeffrey. This was a great chat. And I'm sure there are a bunch of nuggets that people can pull from this one. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed speaking with you. It was fun. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jeff. I just wanted to share a few favorite takeaways from this episode. So number one being sometimes, you know, going on your journey without a map can really work out in your favor. And Jeff's drive to try new things, take each opportunity as it came is a great example of how life can just unfold for you in the best way possible as long as you're willing to put in the work. Number two, money comes and goes, time only goes. This has stuck with me since I heard that and will be something that I repeat to myself always. I absolutely love that takeaway. Number three, what you do informs everything else that you do. So just from uh, Jeff's example of his career, you know, he started out in fashion, then moved into film, and then sort of combined the two together and created his own production company. So no one at the time was really doing video or filming fashion shows. So Jeff really took that as an opportunity to fill that gap. And I just find that really fascinating. It all comes back to all of the dots connecting in hindsight. Number four is what does failure mean to you? And I think it's important that we all create our own definition of failure outside of society's guidelines as they put that in quotations. And the example that Jeff gave in this episode is that failure, you know, that his definition of failure is that failure is giving up on the things that are important to you. Number five, ideas rarely come fully formed. So they come from a result of all of the inputs that you've had throughout life. So all of those little dots connecting, you know, all of your past experience often comes together to help you get that inspiration and have those ideas come to you. So give yourself the time and the space to wonder and to wander. And there's also a few questions I want to leave you with. Usually I'll do these on the solo episodes, but um, there were a few questions that sparked my interest throughout this episode and as I was editing through it as well. What's scarier? So making moves to go where you want to be or staying where you are. And another question to ask yourself is, whose approval are you seeking and why? And what is it that you're trying to do? and why. So I hope you loved this episode as much as I did. And uh, I will leave all of the details in the show notes below. Otherwise, I will catch you in next week's episode. 